Okay, welcome back, all six of you that are listening to episode four of Casually Concerned. And here I have with me one of the most important, prolific people in everybody's life, especially if you've met him. If you haven't, I'm very sorry for your loss. This is my father, Alan Brangman. Hello. So I have two dads. And part of the reason that I wanted to talk about race relations on my fourth episode is because everyone experiences race and has specific relationships with race differently, either personally, in private, in public, in third person, on public platforms. We obviously see it every day on the news and politics, in business and relationships with others. And I think more or less there are some people that are comfortable talking openly about race and some aren't. And I think that sometimes the people who might not be comfortable talking about race is typically due to either they don't have a personal experience with race, so they might feel like they don't have a right to say something, or maybe they just don't have that much knowledge. And when they do openly discuss race, it comes across in a very not well-informed way. And typically then people get reactive. And I think all too often people stray from trying to have conversations about race because they're not comfortable with their relationship with it. And Alan, you are my first real, I guess, in vivo relationship with race. Um, And if I were to introduce Alan on a personal level, I would say, I say my dad, he's my stepdad, but I I still get offended when I have to explain, oh, he's my stepdad, or that Elena is my half-sister, because at the end of the day, it's about the relationship that you have with people. And you've been my official father since... How old was I? Uh, you were like three years old. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we start, when you met mom, who did she tell you her favorite child was? Who did she tell me her favorite <laughs> child was? That's interesting. Um, it could have been Jake. It could have been Jessica. I'm not sure. I know who her most rambunctious child was, and that was probably Jessica. Perfect. Okay. So... Giving giving context to our our listeners, all of you, you know, for you growing up in a time of civil rights, having a million barriers put in place for you just by existing, right? Despite that, it's like you're incredibly important and accomplished with or without race being a factor. But I think it's important to to note that if if I were to say that there was an example of someone personal that I know who has, you know, I don't know, been super resilient and I always look at you as someone that's been able to move through adversity with a lot of grace. And I think that there are times when people are able to move through adversity, but not so much with grace. With it comes a lot of resentment and bitterness and maybe they get complacent or stuck in where they are. And I think that you've always been the type of person that set goals and they're realistic and then you accomplish them and then you set more goals and you do that for yourself, but you're for your family. But looking at you, I've always looked at you and just been like, man, I'm super proud of that guy. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's funny because growing up, I don't know if you remember this, but Carrie always, Carrie's one of my oldest childhood friends and Carrie can remember a very specific time when I was at TJ, Thomas Jefferson Elementary, for all of you real 22046 false church people. We were playing at the playground, and Carrie's dad always reminded me of the time when I ran up to him. I was probably like five or six, and I pointed 
to you and I said, do you see that black guy over there? And he says, yes. And I said, can you believe he's my dad? And so for such a long time, for me, it was like a novelty, right? I just thought it was like so cool. And, you know, it was one of those things where I don't feel like I ever intentionally used it to get brownie points, but I knew that it was cool. And I didn't really know why until I got to be of a certain age and I learned more about what that meant in terms of having a mixed race blended family. Mm-hmm. And Alan, you were also the mayor of the city of Falls Church. I was. I was, but don't hold that against me, okay? I will not. All right. And as a result, Jake and I were perfect angels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you were. Do you but do you remember were you ever concerned seriously about Jake and I screwing up and how that would impact you? Uh, no, in all honesty, I never was. Part of the reason being that um, I'm married to your mom, <laughs> so there was no way that you guys were going to That's true. misbehave in any way, shape, or form while I was uh, either on the city council or as I was mayor. So I never had that fear. Good, good. Okay, so I guess I kind of want, I get, so what I did was is I sent you a list of like general questions that I had, things that I wanted to talk about, and these are questions that I've never directly asked you. Okay. So these might be things that have come up just you know, in family conversation or telling a story, but either I I don't remember it or we've never directly had a conversation about it. Okay. So as I'm talking to you, I'm learning about it as well. So if someone were to ask you, let's say it's like a colleague, um, a new friend, how would you describe our family makeup? So if someone said to you, Alan, tell me about your family. So I would explain our family as, as um, being an interracial family. Okay. Um, the way I describe my children is to say that I have three children. I usually don't make a distinction as to whether or not they're stepchildren mm-hmm. or my own children because in my mind, they're all the same. same. I don't go into a lot of explanation because I've noticed some interesting things that happen um, when I introduce my wife, who is white, um, in a social gathering, one of the things that I do is watch to see how people react. Mm. Um, one of the most interesting times, actually, is when I, when I uh, first went up to work at the University of Delaware, and mom came up to visit, your mother came up to visit, <laughs> and I was introducing her to my colleagues in my office, and a number of them, I think, probably already knew um, that I was married to a Caucasian or white woman, um, but one of them did not. One of my directors did not. And uh, when I when he came into the, the office area, actually it was in the outer office area, and I was introducing Patty to everybody, I introduced Patty to him, and he had a look on his face of surprise, mm-hmm. um, which let me know immediately what type of person he was. And I just said, hmm, interesting. And I just logged that away, and your mom actually noticed it as well. Um, and said something to me later about, you know, asking me what type of guy he was. And I said, well, I think he's probably got some issues about race. Mm-hmm. And I just left it at that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, this for me, this is a normal family. Yeah. And I don't make any distinction at all in terms of, of um, you know, how I describe my family life. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I don't know if, I do, if, if I've done this in an effort to avoid that face. Mm-hmm. But I kind of put it out there first. Like if someone were to say, describe your family... I would say, well, you know, I would I would say, you know, I have an interracial family. And then I would immediately go into explaining the dynamic. 
And I don't know if it's because I'm uncomfortable if left to the imagination what people would think and then me having to like fiercely protect that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting that you would actively say, you know, I have an interracial family. I don't know if it's a level of comfort. I would say the same thing too, but I also don't know what it would be like just if I weren't to say it, would everybody just assume my family was all white, right? Yeah. Which is funny that that's the reason that is, is because that's the default, right? That everyone has like these, you know, you're either, you know, a white family, a black well, family, a Hispanic family. There are exactly. And that's what, re- that's what this guy was doing. He was assuming right. because I was black that I would be married to a black. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in certainly in this day and age, uh, you can't assume like that anymore. Right. Um, you know, we talk a lot today about diversity. Diversity was not a word that was talked about when I was growing up. You know, it was, it was more integration was talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, society has changed in, in term, in, with respect to nomenclature. And certain code words mean things now that right. didn't mean things before. Right. And I don't know that I would ever say that I was, that I'm in a diverse family. Right. Because I think that that somehow kind of opens up the entire right. universe in terms of what that family might be like. I, you know, as again, I, I just don't go into any explanation of who's who in my family yeah. unless somebody asks that question directly. Right. And then I'll answer. Otherwise, it shouldn't matter. Contingent upon the purpose of the masking, right? If they're, if they're just like prodding or let that guy all of a sudden wanted to know information, it's like, no, I'm going to keep some things private. Because you've already noted in your head that you feel yep. that you get that vibe from that person. Yep. So that kind of goes mm-hmm. right into the next question. Like you mentioned that integration was discussed as opposed to diversity. Yeah. Which, I mean, they mean the same thing, but they're complete opposites of each other. So what conversations did you have, you know, with your, your, your family? Did the conversations you have with your friends, were they different about race? I don't really think so. I, I came from, my background, I should talk, probably talk about mm-hmm. my background a little bit. So I was born in Bermuda. Uh, didn't come to the United States until I was five or six years old when my mom married my dad. But I grew up in Southern Connecticut, in Stanford, Connecticut, which um, is a very integrated community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my school system that I was in, unlike here in Falls Church, where there was, you know, your class, I think, was 130 kids, yeah. which was the largest at that point in time. I had 650 kids in my class all the way through school. Hmm. So um, there were a lot of different people in that class and, and um, or in my class. And Stanford was also, Stanford is a bedroom community in New York City. So there was, you know, there were a lot of people who worked in New York, commuted every day on the train. Um, there were a lot, at that point in time, there were a lot of Hispanics. At that point in time, we just called them Puerto Ricans. We didn't no, make a distinction yeah. between Puerto Ricans or Mexicans right. or Hispanic. There was no, you know, we yeah. didn't have that distinction then. Again, I think that was just, you know, how diversity has become a different definition now. And probably in its location community. to New York. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I, I always had people of different race around me. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean that I didn't necessarily experience things that were racist or race related but I learned to to manage that environment differently than I might have had to manage it for instance if I grew up in the south it was also different I think because being born in Bermuda I had a very different attitude Mm -hmm. Um, unbeknownst to me at that point in time I mean as I grew older I understood the distinction but 
I, I just had a different sense of, of race and may have been, which I'll say for the first time now, may have been because the majority population in Bermuda was black, mm-hmm. which is clearly different than you know, what yeah. I moved into. So I was always comfortable in my skin. And never, never really, you know, worried about things. I think that maybe a lot of American mm. blacks worried about. But that also then put me in a different mindset in terms of how I then dealt with the world around mm. me, because I never felt that anybody else was necessarily better than me. Right. So you never. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not like you were born into an environment where you were. You basically. You immediately had to defend yourself, yeah. Yeah. and that you immediately had this shell. Or okay, got it. Yeah. And do you think that that attitude just continued to grow? I think it did because I experienced some things. Uh, I'll tell you two funny stories. One was was uh, when I was in middle school because we used to ride the bus from the community that we lived in. We would have to ride city buses actually in order to get to the middle school that I went to. I started playing sports in middle school, so there was no late afternoon bus. So we would have to walk home. Or, you know, take, take a normal city bus. If you didn't have a bus pass, you'd end up walking home. And a number of friends of ours, of mine, we would always end up walking home. And it was probably, I don't know, maybe three, four miles max. But we would pass a Bloomingdale's on our way home every day. Mm-hmm. So we would play this game. And all my friends, with the exception of one in this group, there was five or six of us. It was interesting because we had an interracial group. <laughs> One was Hispanic, one was white, three were black. And we would go into, the, the way that the, the Bloomingdale's was set up, you could enter on, on one side of the street. It's almost like you know any of the Bloomingdale's or any of the department stores mm-hmm. at the mall. There were always three entrances. Right. So you could, enter, you could enter in one entrance and walk all the way through the building, come out the other entrance, particularly during the winter. That was a way of keeping warm okay. for literally what was a city block. And we would go in, and within a minute, the security guards would be watching us. Mm -hmm. But they would be watching the three black kids, and not the white kid, and sometimes the watch Hispanic kids. So we would go hide in the clothes racks, Mm -hmm. you know, because we knew what they were doing. Right. You know, and and they were doing it primarily because they thought that we were going to steal stuff. Right. uh, Which... That wasn't going to happen because I was not going to want to have to face my parents when I right. got home with, with that. So it was very interesting to to kind of play that game. Um, and they would almost every day during the winter they would look for us, and we we you know we did it just to be pains, quite frankly. Right. But you know it was we, we used to laugh once we came out the other side. Mm-hmm. Another experience that I had uh, was my first year of college at the University of New Hampshire. I was the junior class president and senior class president of my high school. Had pretty good grades and initially had, had applied to Ivy League schools. Uh, didn't finish out my senior year, so didn't get in, but did get into the University of New Hampshire. This was in 1970. So you can do the math on getting back to the middle school dates, but um, showed up on campus. My parents dropped me off. Uh, and then drove away. Mm-hmm. So um, we had the first week of orientation. We had a class for uh, all the kids that were on scholarship. And these were um, white kids, black kids. There was one Hispanic kid. We were in the largest class at that point in time of minority students at the University of New Hampshire, which was 
35. And I'd, I'd have to go back to look at what the undergraduate population was for the school, but it was uh, quite a bit more hmm. in the thousands. And we had the largest class coming in of kids of color, which is also the way we describe kids now as part yeah. of university. But in any event, um, they called us all into a room, and we were uh, the counselor was talking with us. And he, he said, you know, well, you're all here now in school. Um, you know, we're going to tell you what your requirements are for the classes that you need to take. I was in engineering um, because I had always wanted to be an architect, and they didn't have an architecture school. The closest they had was engineering, so I was going to go into civil engineering. And I'm sitting next to my roommate, who um, Vince was from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which was just down the road where mm-hmm. the, where the uh, uh, naval base, air base was. And the counselor said, you know, well, we'll start right at the top. You guys have three semesters in order to get a 2.0. And I looked at him. I said, looked at my roommate. I said, what did he say? He said, you got three semesters to get a 2.0. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. And of course, Vince and I are saying, well, why? Because like, right. he, like, he was also in the top of his class. As I would, I said, well, that's interesting. I said, that means that we could basically take four classes. Do nothing. You could flunk three and get an A in the other one. Yeah. Do that for two, semester, for two semesters. You come back your third semester and get all A's and you're still good. You don't lose your scholarship money. Now, part of this was related to colleges and universities trying to increase the number of minority students that they had in their, you know, right. their schools. So make it more but, accessible <clears> for <throat> them. more accessible. Yeah. But the problem was is that they were assuming that everybody who came in who was a minority was at a particular learning level, mm-hmm. which in fact was not the case for some of us. So I won't say who, but some of us took advantage of that. Yeah. Did a lot of visiting to a lot of other colleges while we were there that first year, that second year. Met a lot of people at a lot of different schools. But that was a flaw, I think, in, in, you know, in, in folks that were trying to make things right but weren't really assessing people on what their skills or their capabilities were. The assumption, again, was that, in this case, that minority students, primarily African-American students, didn't measure up. That was not something that sat well with me. And Mm -hmm. that's something that has not sat well with me as I've gone all through life. Mm -hmm. Um, Used to hear things like, you know, if you're black, you have to work twice as hard as everybody else meaning as whites, in order to be successful, right? which is a level of measure, for me, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. No sense. Working hard came naturally to me, you know, but it, 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 it left a taste in my mouth, quite frankly, that was not good. And you know, when I left there and transferred to Cornell, I got into Cornell on my merits. And that's the way I believe that everybody should be looked at. You should, yeah. you should advance through society based on your merits. Right. Not on, and you, everybody's heard it. Not on the color of your skin, you know, but but what you know, who you are, and what you can do. Yeah, well, and then there's pe- there's people that would go down go down the road you chose to go down, and then there are people like you said that that if they did take advantage, what does yeah. that mean for them? You know, being able to navigate through a system using this thing that they're quote unquote proud of that other people in pretty direct way it's insulting. Yeah, well, I mean, folks would say to you, you know, the only reason you're here is because you're black. Well, no, the only reason I'm here is because I beat your butt in terms yeah. of my, my ability to be able to achieve. Right. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's you know, it, unfortunately, that's the way things were. I think there's still a lot of places now still the case. You know, there's still schools where folks will say that. There are a number of cases that were brought, actually anti or reverse discrimination cases where people were saying, you know, well, I should get in here 
because there are other people who are taking spots that should have been my spot. Yeah. And I would argue if, if they're there for grades, you can't ever make that argument. Mm -hmm. They're there because you have the ability to achieve, you can't ever make that argument. So it's, 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 a, tough, it's a tough measure, mm -hmm. but hopefully that all will change one day and that'll all go away and will not yeah. be an issue. Well, do you feel for you kind of how, you know, throughout your education and you're constantly educating yourself too. And it's like, you've had these, you know, these, these wealth of like experiences and these amazing jobs. Do you feel that sometimes you've had to work double hard to prove how well you can do? So two part question. I would like to think that the effort that I put in is not necessarily an effort of having to work double hard. But I will say that I have been in some rooms in, in administration or in, in, in uh, private business, private industry, where I have been the only black in the room. Mm -hmm. And you know, all eyes will look to me depending on what question might come up or what's being asked, um, particularly if it's race related. Mm -hmm. you know, immediately folks will look, and I, which is not the way things should be. Yes, I agree. But I have always felt that if I put in my best effort, I'm going to be able to stand up against anybody or compete against anybody. And you've heard folks say, you know, if you give me the chance, all, all I'm asking is that you give me the opportunity to effectively be successful. Mm -hmm. It can be uncomfortable at some times to look at the makeup of the room and go, wow, this is uh, not the way it should be. Sometimes there's added pressure because because I know and I've got friends who have said, you know, if I fail in this situation, it's going to make it tough for the next person, mm -hmm. the next minority who comes along. I've never had... So I think about it, I've never had a thought process like that because I've never thought that I would fail when I was in any of those situations. I was always going to be successful. And if I had to work harder to be successful, it wasn't because I felt I had to compete for that basis because that's what the job required. Right. So that's what I would then do. Yeah. Well said. Okay, so speaking of diversity, growing up in the city of Falls Church... Which, yeah. for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, you need to learn, it's two square miles. Mm -hmm. It's um, The zip code is 22046. We have our own elementary, middle, high school. And I don't know, it's, it's definitely a middle to upper class mm -hmm. neighborhood area. And it continues to grow and grow and grow so much so that I think it's unfortunately pushing a lot of people out. But when deciding where you guys wanted to raise us, why was City of Falls Church a place that you yeah. guys chose? So if you go back and you look at the history of founding, quote unquote, of the City of Falls Church, not Falls Church because Falls Church has been around basically since the founding of America. Right. I mean, the, the Falls Church area, or Virginia area, is very old, right next to Washington, D.C. and Arlington, and, mm -hmm. and it's been here for a while. But the City of Falls Church was not incorporated until 1958. And the reason it was incorporated by the quote-unquote city fathers and mothers was to control the school system. Falls Church school systems have always been the number one public school in right. America, particularly the high school level, uh, which is also one of the first IB programs in the United States was done here in the city of Falls Church, thanks to a gentleman named Lou Olden who really um, pushed for that. When your mom and I started looking for a place to live, um, she tells a story that as we were looking for appropriate places to live, uh, I was living then in Arlington, 
down on Key Boulevard, mm-hmm. just outside of Roslyn. I had just moved out of the district not too long before then, and I felt like we were going to the country. Oh, yeah. So she used to, you know, she teases, still teases me till this day um, about that. But in reality, what we wanted was to make sure that we were in a community that was walkable, one. Two, that was of the size that, that we felt um, we could raise our family in. So it really was about the schools. You know, where are the best schools? Where can we get our children into the best? The house that we live in now, we bought back in 1987, 1988. <laughs> I dare say, Jessica, you, you said that, you know, things are growing here. Well, we bought it for less than $150,000. Oh, my gosh. It is um, worth well over a million dollars now. That is a function of what has happened yeah. in the Washington, D.C. area. And there are other communities in America that where this has happened as well. But if you go talk to the State Department, if you go talk to some of the government agencies or you talk to some of the private industry in the area, on the top of their list, when people ask them to come to work here, where, you know, where should we move, you will see the city of Falls Church as being one or two never lower than three mm-hmm. in terms of, of, you know, ideal communities to live in. When we first moved here, I think there were probably three, two to three, what I'll say are black or African-American families or mixed mm-hmm. families in this community of then 10,000 people. Our population now is 12, I think 12 and a half thousand. And there's a few more minority families in the city now, but they're still, vast majority of, yeah. of the city is, is white. But the school system still continues to be, um, you know, at the top of the list. Yeah. We're not, we're not first anymore. I think we're second or third. Thomas Jefferson is, is uh, in high, at the high school level, Thomas Jefferson, I think, has is, is, uh, outstripped us a little bit. And of course, that's a magnet school. I was going to so say, it's not yeah. Public. It's not public as we are, even though it's funded by public dollars, arguably. Although I would argue that the City of Falls Church is not public, which used to really Mm -hmm. get my council members and the school board members um, upset because I would always say, well, the only kids who can go here are the kids who are in Falls Church. There used to be tuition students back when you guys first started school here, but within three or four, maybe five years max, because the city had grown so much and schools, you know, didn't, we didn't, we weren't building new schools. Um, all the tuition students were closed out, so it yeah. was just the kids in this city that went there. Yeah. So, arguably, we were really like private school, and plus the schools were forty. The schools were fifty-two percent of the the city's budget went to the schools. So, wow. but it was all good because I think you guys all got great educations and positions yeah, to I'm, be able to do great in college. I am very so smart. School. I know you are. Mm-hmm. Can't speak for Jake, but. I'm very smart. He, he's not going to listen to this, right? <laughs> <laughs> he might. <laughs> we'll see. His friends do. Ha ha. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit more. <clears throat> I'm interested to know about kind of meeting mom. Like, when you met mom, at what point in time did she say, like, hey, like, you know, well, obviously she's single. I have two kids. Yeah. yeah. That conversation was very early on. I think in, in the initial conversations we had, we talked about what our current situation was in terms of, of 
on marriage or relationships or not. We talked about family. Mm-hmm. So I knew pretty early on that, that there were two children. Did that freak you out? No. Not at all? Never. Huh. Never. Never. Always wanted to have children. Knew that, that uh, hopefully I would be a good dad. I didn't know for real at that point in time, mm-hmm. but I, I was you know sure that I could be a good dad. Um, so no, that was never never something that crossed my mind in terms of you know saying, well, take that off the list because that's not you know this is not somebody I want to deal with right. as a result of that. Right. It's interesting because yesterday or the day before yesterday, there was a picture that popped up on Mom's Facebook, mm-hmm. which was the day that I took you and Jake to um, Disney World. No, 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 no. To um, where did we go? For for a lunch where we went with you guys for dinner. Down 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 near your down near your apartment where we went to dinner with Nate. Carlisle. Carlisle. Okay. So we went yeah, so that's I'm blanking on the name of that neighborhood, which will come to me in a second, but in any event, I had taken you guys down there for ice cream when it first Shirlington. opened because Shirlington, yeah. because I was then was when I worked for Oliver Carr, which oh, was a real yeah. estate developer, and that was a development that Carr had done. And they had just opened, uh, Carlisle had just opened, and there were a number of other restaurants there, as well as there was an ice cream shop. So mm-hmm. I had taken you guys down for the opening, mm-hmm. and we had ice cream, and there was a picture of us, which was on Facebook, mm-hmm. and it just popped up, you know, in the memories. 20 years yeah. ago. This was, yeah, this was was where you guys were and I was like wow that's interesting yeah so yeah. <laughs> what about so as bad as you guys were I still didn't have any problem you know hanging out with you good and everyone needs a break you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> all right so growing up after you guys now the process of getting married I know that you guys had a hard time when you were trying to find like a place to get married what was that like so the issue was where we were going to get married. We decided that we, we, first of all, we didn't want to do a big wedding. Mom mm-hmm. didn't want to do a big wedding. I didn't want to do a big wedding. We, I don't remember whether we had asked. I knew, she couldn't get married in a Catholic church because she was divorced. Um, although I think we might have liked to have get married in a Catholic church, but she was going to have to annul her marriage mm-hmm. to your dad mm-hmm. and pretty tough to annul a marriage when you got kids so yeah that's true that she's like that that ain't gonna work and I grew up in the um, AME church which is African Methodist Episcopalian and there is an AME church in DC and so we went and talked to the minister his name was uh, Reverend Shambliss which was interesting at that point in time because it was a guy who was playing for the New York Yankees by the name of Chris Shambliss, who was their first baseman. And the Yankees were world champions at that point okay. in time. We, I didn't make the connection immediately with this reverend that right. I was speaking with. And one of my best friends, who's also a best man at the wedding, Jim Bolton, said, Shambliss, said, that name sounds so He said, I think that's Chris Shambliss's dad. And it was. Oh, that's but funny. In, but in any event, we sat down and we talked with them. And he raised a number of issues about interracial marriages. He's black. The church is, uh, is black. And so we immediately started talking about the difficulties um, that we either may or may not have. Of course, we were going to live in Virginia, which at that point in time, believe it or not, in 1987, 1988, Virginia still had laws on the books about, um, about interracial marriage, which was interesting. 
but we wanted to do something that was going to really be a celebration of tight-knit family. Um, so we had my parents, we had mom's parents, you guys, you and, you and Jake were in the way. Very few other folks in a private ceremony in, in, uh, in the Willard Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had an after party on 14th and I Street. Uh, right there at the metro, metro stop, there was a club that used to be downstairs, and we went and rented that club, and then we had a had a big reception for lots of folks to come to. There were people who thought we shouldn't get married. There were people who, you know, were, were some folks who were, I wouldn't say they were necessarily friends, but they certainly were colleagues, some of your mom's colleagues. Um, but we did anyway, because we, we loved each other, and that's mm -hmm. what we wanted to do. We've been together 31 years of marriage and 33 years, yeah, 34 years of knowing each other. So it, it, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't hard. Mm -hmm. You know, and you always get the question, you know, would you do anything different? No. Right. We, we'd do it again. We'd do it the same way because I strongly believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, and if we hadn't done the things that we did the way that we did them, we wouldn't be here now. Yeah, because it's all, it's all related. It's all tied together. It's all you know. It's it's mm -hmm. almost sequential. So best decision I think that I've made. I think the best decision that mom's made. She'd probably kick me right now. She's sitting next to me. But we're, there's no doubt in my mind that we made the right decision. Good, yeah. because I have, I now have this on record. So if you had answered differently, we might have a problem. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> <laughs> what about before you guys or when you decided to have Lainey? Understanding that again, the world was—I mean, that wasn't race relations. That wasn't going to stop you from having Laney, but no, no. But what we did do, what we we did when Elena was after Elena was born, and I would say arguably long after she was born, because it was two years. Um, she was probably a toddler uh, when we put her into daycare. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted her to be in a program that was. You know, again, today's words diverse, mm -hmm. it was integrated. So we had her. She went to Columbia Baptist, which was quite diverse and mm -hmm. for the city of Falls Church yeah. in terms of the the kids who were in that. Um, we thought that we wanted to expose her as much as possible to as many different people as we could. Parenthetically, you and Jake went to Tarot, um, but then also went to school down in Arlington. And I'm blanking on the name. Bluebird. Bluebird, which was also. A diverse environment. Mm -hmm. So we wanted you guys to be exposed to as many different kinds of, of I'll say people, but children at that point in time, mm -hmm. because it broadens your horizons in terms yeah. of how you interact with folks and, and um, you know, what you learn, what you know. Um, when people are different than you, then, then it gives you the opportunity to um, literally uh, enhance, mm -hmm. you know, your, your being and your experiences. So mm -hmm. we felt the same way about Elena. Now, when she actually entered into the school system, Falls Church wasn't much more diverse, as you heard me say <laughs> earlier, quite frankly, than it is now. So that was always something that we kind of, we were concerned about as she moved through school that, you know, she was going to have the ability to expand her horizons as much as possible around a diverse community. A little tough to do in Falls Church. Yeah. A little tough to do. Um, although there were... More and more, as, as she went more through school, there were more and more um, Hispanics 
uh, and Asians. I think the black family count has always been around four or five, although I've noticed lately that there's a few more, many years after you guys are mm-hmm. out of school, there are a few more both interracial, biracial as we now call it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, some African-American families in, in the community, So, which is good. Yeah, it is. is well, and I also think that, <clears throat> I think sometimes the saying of, I don't see color, it can seem really naive. And I think that sometimes when people say it, it kind of can come across differently. But for yeah. me, I always said that in a way, I'm trying to think of how uh, conceptualized when I say it, what I meant, kind of like, it doesn't matter one way or the other, right? It depends on the experience that you have with that person. However, everyone should see color to recognize that people are different and that you have to mm-hmm. learn about, you know, each per, yeah. right, each person's yeah. differences. Yeah. And I feel like that's the hardest part because I also think that within every racial group, there are certain, there are certain populations within each racial group that perpetuate a stereotype of that racial group that continues to kind of like create assumptions that people don't, that people are too scared to address. And I think the only way that you can get rid of an assumption or to not make it harder is to deal with it right in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Head on. I agree. I agree. I, I have, uh, it's interesting, I think, because from, from the minority side of the table, you hardly ever use a term like that. You hardly ever say, I don't see color. That's all. Yeah. Because that's, that's your reality. Yeah. And it's the, the when 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 people use a statement like that, I understand what they're trying to say. Although if if, you know, <clears throat> there's famous line in in, in uh, literature, you know, thou dost protest too much. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be judged on their character. Everybody should be judged on um you know, who they are before you worry about whether or not, you know, my skin looks like this or looks like yours to make the determination as to who you are or yeah. what your character is. And that's the distinction. I think if, if we if we say that, I'm not sure if I like it or don't like it as of yet, but people say, you know, we're all human. Well, yeah, I get that. But that seems to be masking in another way. Right. But like, what does your character say? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes, we're all human, but... I can, I can, I, I'm sure I've encountered many people who I wouldn't consider quality, hum, yeah. quality humans. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a way of, of folks trying to deal with the race issue or right. a race issue. I just prefer to say everybody bleeds red. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it shouldn't be an issue. And then the next thing is who you are and what are you about? Mm-hmm. Um, you can be a good person. You can be a bad person. Yeah. As you were saying earlier, it has nothing to do, you were saying all race, it has nothing to do with your, your skin color, your ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That has to do with your character. Yeah. So, you know, if we could look at everybody through the lens of character, I think it would certainly make things a lot easier. But for a lot of people, it's also easier just to say, I'm going to categorize this whole section of yeah. people because they look like that mm-hmm. and never give them the chance to show otherwise. Yeah. Which is, that just continues to perpetuate problems. Yes, I completely agree. Okay, so last question in relation to our family and specifically race relations. Do you think that in terms of teaching us about race as children or 
I don't know, kind of exposing us to what real life is. Do you remember, do you remember times your, your mom ever being like feeling stuck about how to discuss it with us or how to address that with us? Like, especially in terms of what we see in society and everything that's in the news and the community that we live in. It's like, yes, we have each other and we're our own quote unquote, we were our own diverse bubble and any other exposure that we had was really what we saw on TV. Mm -hmm. So in a way I felt like lucky in that it was protected a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't, I think as, as we, as we reared you guys, I don't know that there's any time that we ever really talked about race relations mm -hmm. or um, things that you needed to be concerned about around race because we, we always felt like <clears throat> as a family we had a handle on, on, on looking at the world through open right. eyes. And I'm trying to think if, if there were, if there were ever. Like if you had seen us be a particular way that was negative, yeah, you guys would have you, nipped you, it in the bud. You know, you but wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. Okay. Wouldn't happen. And I'm also thinking as we, you know, as we, you were talking about, you know, world events as things happen. If, if there were things that we needed to effectively teach you about or discuss, I think we, you know, we certainly would have. But I, I don't remember anything specifically that. I don't either. Um. You know, we would have said, uh, you know, here's what's happening. Or right. This is, you know, no. Well, and I also think it's because we were taught what's right and wrong, what's appropriate yeah. and what isn't. And that has nothing to do with the way someone looks. It's no. just about character. Yeah. Okay. So before we officially wrap up, I'm going to give you, I'm not, it's not really a quiz. It's more like, I just want to know some of your opinions on some, some things. Okay. Okay. If you had to choose between love after lockup or 90 day fiance. <laughs> so this doesn't come without at least an explanation of how I might vote on a question like that. Because I got to tell you, <laughs> and, and yes, I have seen love after lockup. Your mother enjoys that show. Yeah. As do I. It's so funny. Um, it is funny. Um, I don't understand how people how people get hoodwinked um, into situations like that. You know, and, and I'll be nice. Or what was the other ninety day? Or yeah, ninety day or love after lockup. So ninety day fiance. I, I don't know how you do that. I, I might be able to, to imagine that I could marry somebody after 90 days, but... Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, it makes no sense to me. And then I the agree. other one you're going to ask me about is married at first sight. No, I'm not. You're not? That's not on the list. Wow. Nope. Not on the list. That's nope. good, because that's another one where I would say, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Um, if you had to choose between watching Shaws of Sunset or a Beverly Hills Housewife, what would you choose? <laughs> well, Beverly Hills Housewives is kind of passe now. Agreed. You know, I think it's after. So Shaws is, is much more interesting. Reza's the best. Um, Reza is a stitch. Yeah. He, he is a stitch. He's transformed himself and... and Interesting people. <laughs> Agreed. Interesting people. Okay. Last two. Brad Pitt 
or Leonardo DiCaprio? Well, if I said anything other than Brad Pitt, my no, daughter would No, I'm over disown. him. Oh, you are? <laughs> no, he's not a heartthrob like, anymore. Oh, I used to be in... <laughs> I know you did. Brad Pitt face. No. No, you say uh, that. So, see? <laughs> So, oh, so now you're like Leonardo. I, no, I, I just I, mean like in terms of an actor, because they're like best buds in real life. So, well, actually, I think I think Brad is pretty good. Pretty has become very talented. Pretty good actor. Pretty yeah. good actor. Yeah, probably. Brad. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Seasons of the Fall. I've taught you well. Yeah. Legends of yeah, the Fall. Legends of the Fall. Whatever. I just made awesome Nate movie. watch that for the first time ever. He never saw it. <laughs> no. I'm a little worried about it. No, well, no. I lied and I said it wasn't a romance. And, like, it definitely is very heavy in the romance. Yeah, but it is. But there's did also it. Yeah, there's it's all movie. kinds of other good stuff in it. Okay, last important question. Mm-hmm. Which song? If you could only listen to two songs, or one song for your rest of your life, and you need to choose between these two, what would you choose? No Diggity or Return of the Mac? <laughs> well, I know No Diggity, No Doubt. Um, I know every word, so <laughs> your mother looks at me like, what? what are you singing? Don't worry about it. It's on my iPad. <laughs> it's on my iPad. <laughs> Probably no diggity. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Thanks for entertaining me. Oh, okay, last one. Who is your favorite person that one of your children has dated or is dating? Favorite person that one of my children has dated or is dating? So I actually have uh, newly entered into the race is Nate, mm-hmm. but Lisa, <laughs> Lisa's tough to beat. <laughs> All right. Lisa's tough to beat. Well, thank you so much for coming on my very popular podcast. Yes. It has been fun. Mm-hmm. We'll do it again sometime. We will. Mm-hmm. All right. You need to get mom on your podcast. Yeah, I need. I know. I'm trying to narrow down what we could talk about. I'm scared. Vermont. Oh, God. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. And next episode, I will be talking about um, body image and all of that stuff with my friend Nazanin.